Hi, my name's Tori and I wish I knew more about blood products. Hi, my name's Letitia. I wish I knew more about taking care of myself when starting shift work. Hi, my name is Lydia. I wish I would know more about how to work as in a team and solve conflict. Hello, welcome to Five Things, the nursing podcast from the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. My name is Liz Crow. I'm Jesse Spur, and this is a podcast by, for, and with the amazing nurses and health professionals in our corner of the world. We hope to connect with a global community as we move from surviving to thriving. Welcome to Five Things. Hello, my name is Liz Crow. And I'm Jesse Spur. Welcome to another episode of Five Things. And today we're talking about IV cannulas. And we're welcoming Professor Nicole Marsh, who is the Nursing Midwifery Director of Research here at the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. Welcome, Nicole. Hello, how are you? Good, thank you. We'd love to get your backstory a little bit. Um, how, how have you ended up where you are at now? Um, well, I have been working in the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital for a very long time. I'm one of the hospital trained nurses. So I have spent a majority of my clinical time working in the neurosurgical unit here and um, saw that opportunity to embrace or embark on um, a research project with Professor Joan Webster. Wasn't sure that I'd particularly like research, so it was a very uh, very gentle step in that direction um, and went and collected data and she wasn't able to get rid of me after that. So I was, I was very keen. I really enjoyed being able to make a difference in nursing and midwifery research. Um, so I've been working um, in that field now for probably around 15 years. What was your clinical work history like to fill in a bit of the blanks between being hospital trained and ending up here? Uh, well, definitely always working within the surgical ward. So I had the role of a, a clinical nurse. I did some acting as a nurse unit manager um, and really, really loved my clinical work. In fact, even when I embarked on my research career, I still worked the weekends um, up until 2018. So, um, you know, that was a really important part of my career is that clinical um, attachment to the, the hospital and being able to work closely with patients. And has the majority of your research been around IV cannulas? Um, it has. Um, the research that I lead is very much about vascular access, but I certainly work with other nurses and midwives in the hospital, um, looking at all different areas, um, you know, fluids that we're giving women in labour um, and looking at, you know, baby skin in the NICU. But my particular research focus is vascular access. Beautiful. Now, you've we thought that it might be helpful to just have a little overview before we get into the five things. You've got some points that you just wanted to share with us about IV cannulas. Sure. So an IV cannula, the simple short cannula that we place in hospital is the most common invasive device or the most frequently used invasive device. Um, we know that um, over 2 billion are purchased around the world every year and that 70% of patients that come into hospital will have at least one inserted during their hospital stay. We also know that um, I've just finished a, a literature review and found that just over a third of all cannulas around the world fail before the completion of treatment. And the research that I've been doing over the last 10 years here at the Royal Brisbane shows that our failure rate is just a little bit higher than that. You know, we're, we're sort of looking at it more of a 50 to 60% failure rate, but that's very, very reflective of the type of patients that we have here at the Royal Brisbane Women's Hospital that are really quite unwell and, and high acuity patients. So the sicker you are, the the greater the chance that the IV will 
fail. Absolutely. So the sicker you are, um, probably the more your veins have been used over time and they're, they're, they're less available for, for future treatments. Um, uh, that comorbidities that patients have do make it um, their veins more difficult. So yeah, we do have a very um, high acuity uh, patient group here at the Royal Brisbane Women's Hospital. Great. So let's get into your five things. Your number one is make sure you've got the right IV device. That's right. It's so important. We we really, as a default, just automatically, when somebody needs vascular access, put in a short peripheral intravenous catheter. It's just, you know, what we're predominantly trained to do. It seems like the best solution. However, we really need to stop and think. You know, we want to make sure that we're picking the right device. And there are lots of options out there for peripheral catheters now. We have these um, long, longer devices, um, which is great because people that do have difficult access means that, you know, the superficial veins that are good for those short catheters might not be available. So with these longer catheters, we can get to deeper vessels. You can, we can use ultrasound and find them. Um, so we really need to have a good look at our patients and evaluate them um, when we're deciding about their vascular access needs. We also have um, midline catheters, which I've been doing a lot of research on lately. And these are long devices. They're still in the peripheral circulation and they go in your upper arm. Um, that means that they're in a bigger vessel. There's more hemodilution, so less irritation with um, medications being delivered. And being in your upper arm, they're less likely to get knocked, like something in your hand or your elbow. Um, so we've had you know great success at reducing failure with these. And there is that option um, to have a midline catheter because our vascular access surveillance and education team can do that. So if you're evaluating and looking at your patient, there are options. But the other thing I'd say is also consider, you know, a central line. So if a patient is going to be having repeated peripheral intravenous catheters over time, make a decision early. Get, you know, them reviewed for a, a pick um, because that might mean that they, you know, we preserve their veins for future catheters and don't have those repeated short devices. So it's really the ideal would be to have one device per patient, per admission, if possible. So make a good decision early. So you've just been talking about the different types of catheters. Should we also be considerate of people who are needle phobic or people who are highly anxious when we're choosing that device? Because, you know, if you, you don't want to be giving someone who's completely panic-stricken about needles several IVs over the course of of their admission, do you? Oh, absolutely. And it's, it would be awful to be needle phobic. Um, and, you know, yes. So a decision, that would be something when you're doing your assessment with a patient and you're looking at their veins and you're looking at the treatment that they have. It's about talking to your patient and finding out things like that and making those really good decisions early. So yes, uh, a longer device might be more appropriate for those patients. Also, uh, other techniques to use while doing it. And I think we do a really good job of that with paediatrics, um, less so in adults. Agree. Yes, there's there are things that we can do that have got evidence to support them. So there's a, a cool spray that you can put on the patient before inserting a catheter. It's got high quality evidence to support and it can decrease the pain. And that would be great for our needle phobic patients as well. So we could look at different options like that or should consider different options like that for those patients. Okay. So your number two is make sure you've got the right IV inserter. What does that mean? Because I didn't know there were IV inserters. At the moment in the hospital, you know, 
most of our bedside clinicians are, are doctors and nurses place peripheral intravenous catheters and then they can escalate to our vascular access surveillance and education team for patients that have difficult access. Um, so if you're looking at different devices, at that moment that you're making a decision about what's the right device for a patient, you also want to think about the inserter. So if you're looking at a patient and they would benefit from a longer device, a midline catheter, a long PIVC, then you need the appropriate inserter for that. And they would be somebody that would have ultrasound skills to be able to use that to assist that insertion. So make the decision early um, and contact the, the appropriate people. I think the other thing that's really important to me is empowering uh, inserters to not place a catheter. So if you look at a patient and they have difficult access, you know, the common thought is, well, I'll have a go, I'll have, I'll have an attempt, I'll have a couple of attempts, and if I can't get it, then, then it's okay for me to escalate to somebody else. But those couple of attempts mean that those veins are likely not going to be available for the next inserter. So I just think we need to empower people to say, stop. You know, I've looked at this patient, their needs are more than what I can provide and it's okay for me to immediately go to somebody that has more skill to insert that catheter. So inserted literally is the person who is putting the device in. Absolutely. I did not know that. And our inserters here at the Royal do receive really good training from our VAS team. So, you know, they're certified to insert devices. But even within that, you have a different scope. Like, you know, you might be an early inserter, you've only done a few or, you know, you might be a really experienced inserter that's using ultrasound. So it's just making sure that we take advantage of that whole group and the skill set that they have. I love what you said about empowering people rather than stopping people, empowering people to go, okay, this person has a really long history of being incredibly difficult to get a, a device in. Why would we give the most junior person in the team the job at just having a crack. You know, like we could be doing damage. So stop and be empowered to say, I'm actually not the right person on this occasion. That's right. We really, really need to tell people that that's okay. We need, you know, them not to have tried on those veins and then they're not available. It's a funny culture shift, isn't it? Because like the having two goes and not being able to do it sometimes is viewed as better or less interpersonal risk and going, I just don't think I can do this. Yeah, because there are, you know, escalation pathways where people said, have you tried already? And so people feel like they have to, even though they are really confident they're not going to get that device. But, you know, our VAS team um, are very happy for you to stop and contact them first. And I think that's very much the culture shift that we have to have. We need to say it's okay. And, you know, people's skills and confidence will increase if they do stop in situations where they're likely to fail. And, you know, for sick patients, an IV is one of the first things that happens. And if their first experiences of us is people having a go and missing, it starts to um, erode trust and, you know, increase anxiety. All the things that we absolutely don't want to have an, happen, especially in the first 30 minutes, 60 minutes of admission into a hospital. Oh, absolutely. And I talk to patients all the time and they say to me, um, oh, I, I don't, I, you know, I have had this experience that was painful and distressing and I am worried about my next IV, but I don't feel confident to say anything because mm -hmm. they know what they're doing. So I think we need to support our patients to be able to, you know, say no and, and help them with this process. Yeah, terrific. Okay, so number three is the importance of regularly checking your site 
yeah, it's really important for us to be assessing the site. And there are different ways that we can do this. Um, one of them is actually looking at the function of the IV. So we do flush the IV. Um, and when we do that, we can see if the IV is working, if there's um, some resistance, if it's causing the patient, you know, some uh, discomfort. And that would be part of our evaluation of whether that IV is working and really prompt removal. Um, the other things that we need to look at is the site itself. So when we um, evaluate that IV, we're looking for any redness, um, any swelling, any any pain. So, you know, it's okay to palpate that site uh, and see if it's it's tender for the patient. That's part of our evaluation. The other thing is the dressing. The dressing is really important, and I think this is an area that we can improve on. Um a peripheral intravenous catheter breaches the skin and it creates a portal of entry for organisms that can cause infection. It, we've decontaminated the skin before we put that cannula in and we've put a nice sterile dressing over the top. But if that dressing starts lifting at the edges, then there's a, a portal or an entry for microorganisms to come into that insertion site and potentially cause infection. So we need to look at that site. We need to see if that dressing's firmly attached to the skin, if it's soiled, um, and it's okay to change that dressing. As nurses, we quite often with our peripheral intravenous catheters just reinforce the dressing, put, you know, non-sterile tape over the top to, to make sure it stays in place. But, you know, we should really think about removing that dressing carefully, you know, cleaning the site again and putting on a new dressing so that we're, you know, protecting our patients and um, hopefully extending the dwell of that catheter. If people are, why do you think people are hesitant, I guess, like if they see that the the edges of the dressing is starting to lift, is it because they're concerned that they're going to move the cannula itself? Is that what people are concerned about? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this device is, tends to be quite short. So, you know, if you take the dressing off, there's that fear that you might dislodge the catheter. Um, so they do tend to, you know, reinforce. And, and plus peripheral intravenous catheters don't dwell for particularly long. They're for short-term therapy. So, you know, there's the thought, oh, well, it won't be in for much longer. So I'll just reinforce that dressing and it'll just do its job until we need to take the cannula out. But we just have to remember that it's, you know, it's a portal into the patient's vein and we need to protect that site and um, just keep an eye on that dressing. And I, I guess the only other thing when you're thinking about maintenance is how you're, you know, making sure that you're performing hand hygiene before you touch an IV, that you're decontaminating those ports before you um, access them with IV cannulas or connect lines. So just keeping those infection prevention practices in mind. Sorry, I'm just catching up. Okay. okay. That's great. Your number four is how important it is to have prompt removal of the IV device once it's no longer needed. Oh, absolutely. We are not always doing well with this. You know, there is that feeling of, well, I'll leave this cannula in because we might need it in the future. So it feels like for some, it's like a safety thing. You know, I'm going to protect my patient from getting another needle stick by keeping this one in just in case we need it. But this is this is a piece of plastic that's sitting in somebody that's potentially not necessary and we're exposing them to those risks of, you know, phlebitis or infection. So we need to really evaluate regularly, is this catheter needed? No, it's not needed. Get it out promptly. It, it's it's just a source for irritation and, and complications. Now, I don't know the word phlebitis. Is that, is, am I saying it correctly? What What is phlebitis for anyone who's, who's new or junior? Is, sure. 
It's really quite funny you should say that because my kids have heard me talk about IV so much that I think they could explain phlebitis. <laughs> <laughs> um, so phlebitis is you've got a piece of plastic in your vein and that plastic can irritate the vessel wall and lead to, you know, irritation of the wall. And it can that's a mechanical phlebitis and it sort of presents as redness and pain. That irritation of the wall can be from medications and that's a chemical phlebitis. And then it can be because of an infection and we call that infective phlebitis. So all of them are irritation of the wall because there's an IV catheter there. And and they generally present with pain, redness, swelling, heat, um, uh, can be, can be warmth. Um, and as um, as Jesse was saying before, some tracking along the vein, you can see a red streak at the at the vein moving away from the IV side. Mm, interesting. Your number five is why it's important that we have a partnership with our patients when it comes to IV cannulas. I think this is actually the most important thing. The most important of these five points is partnership with our patients. And it's relevant for every one of the other points that I've mentioned. Um, you know, particularly for patients at the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital, they often are frequent flyers, so to speak. They've been in before. They know their veins. They know what works for them. Um, you can talk to them. You know, you, you've had an IV cannula before. You know, how did it go? Did you have difficulty? And you can make that decision early about getting an ultrasound. You know, what site works best for you, you know, which is your dominant arm. We'll put the IV in the non-dominant arm. So you have those conversations early. Um, when it comes to assessing the catheter, um, they're, they're the people that are going to tell us if it's painful, you know, um, making them aware, you're talking to them about what complications to look out for, how to care for their cannula, how to cover it when they go to a shower. Um, all these things are really important to have those discussions and make sure that our patients feel comfortable to tell us about problems and certainly removal. They want that catheter out. So, you know, um, telling them to, you know, prompting them to ask about a catheter that hasn't been used is really good. And many of our patients know, you know, they've been there before, so they they are ready to talk and um, share information about how their catheter's um, going um, and if they're having any problems. Yeah. Okay. So, Nicole, I'm going to attempt to make that beautifully concise summary because you've just given us such a lovely five-point Your summary tip. could be as long as the podcast. I know. I know. So, I'm going to be very careful about that. <laughs> All right. So, your number one is make sure you're choosing the right IV device. And what you said is that normally a short IV catheter is the default. However, before we do anything, we should really stop, think about what is the need of our patient, what sort of medications do they require, and what is the device then that is that is needed? So think about the longer catheters. Uh, think about use of ultrasound. Look at the midline catheters, which you're saying lots of people are putting them in the upper arm. So there's less irritation. They're less likely to be knocked. They last longer. So what we want to do is make sure right, right IV device for your patient and as little stabs as possible. <laughs> Absolutely. It would be ideal, wouldn't it, if we could just make sure we make that decision perfectly straight up and maybe we can cut down the amount of devices patients have to have, maybe even just one device for their treatment. Great. Your number two is the right IV inserter and the inserter is the person, which I just learned. And you talked about really we need a cultural shift around this. So when we're choosing the right device, let's make sure that the right inserter, the right person is coming to actually put that device in. And, you know, we talked about there's been a culture of like at least have two two cracks at it and see how you go. We want to move people away from that and we want to empower inserters 
not to attempt. So if you know that you've got a patient who's extremely difficult to um, cannulate, um, we've got to think that a couple of tries can actually do harm to the access site. So just don't do it. Make sure right IV inserter right from the go-get. Absolutely. It's okay to, you know, let somebody else have a go and try if you don't feel confident. Number three is regular insertion site assessment. So what we want is for people to be constantly looking at this site to use good hand hygiene and infection prevention at all times. But you gave us kind of three little sub points. The first is when you do flush, look at the function, make sure that the IV is working, see if there's any resistance and if there's any pain and if there is, act on it. The second thing is is that look at the site itself and evaluate it for redness, swelling, pain, any heat, palpate it, any concerns, do something about it. And your third point was when you're looking at the dressing, don't forget how important this site is. We've got to remember that this cannula is a portal for microorganisms. We've got to really watch that infection. So if your dressing site is lifting, if it's soiled, uh, don't reinforce it. Please change it. That's exactly right. All right. Your number four is prompt removal of the IV. So there was a, um, I guess, again, this cultural thing in hospitals like, oh, they got an IV in at ED, so we'll just leave it in just in case someone changes their mind and wants something IV. Um, we'll put it in because, you know, it's, it's a safety thing. But the point you're making is actually no. This portal is a site for potential infection If we want to talk about safety, if we're not using it, take it out. It's a piece of plastic. It exposes our patients to risk. And your final point, which you really emphasize, this is the most important because it ties us right into the previous four points. And that is that we should always be in partnership with our patients when it comes to IV cannulas. They are the most important person. They're going to know the most about their veins. A lot of our patients have chronic conditions. They're in and out of hospital. Let's ask them, do you have a preferred site? What's your dominant hand? Let's put it in the other side. Let's ask them, have they had problems in the past? Um, And let's use them to talk about right device, right inserter, you know, checking the sites, let it get them, empower them to ask, you know, or say, this doesn't feel right, that's actually hurting, Uh, I've noticed there's some redness, um, and then promptly remove if necessary. Yes, that's exactly right. We we don't want those catheters in. If you don't have a catheter in, you can't have a complication. So get it out. Perfect. That's that's been a great podcast. Thanks so much, Nicole, for joining us on Five Things. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. Cheers. The Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital Five Things Nursing Podcast acknowledges the Turrbal and Yagara as the First Nations owners of the lands we now tread. We pay respect to their elders, laws, customs and creation spirits. We recognise that these lands have always been places of healing, teaching and learning. We also wish to acknowledge the First Nations people of the lands of our global community and encourage our listeners to seek out, listen and learn from the knowledge held in your shared space. As well as all major podcast outlets, you can find us at fivethingsnursing.podbean.com. Please also subscribe and give us a rating on your listening platform of choice. This helps others find the podcast. And finally, if you'd like to connect with Liz or myself on Twitter, we can be found at Liz Crow 2 and for me it's inject 
underscore orange. We would absolutely love to hear your thoughts, ideas, or feedback. Thanks for listening to Five Things 